0: And let's put our hands together and praise Jesus. And Cassidy is out of town, and this is Greg Luce, our guest worship leader, and so let's give it up for our worship team. So if you have your Bibles, open it to the book of Philippians, and if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in front of you or around you, and if you don't have a Bible at all, that's our gift to you, so take that with you. So we're going to look at Philippians chapter 4, and we're just going to pick up and read the first nine verses. And as I read these verses, try to uh, try to pick out what the theme is for this morning, and I really think that this could be a catalytic, life-changing morning for you. So here we go, Philippians chapter 2, and let's start with verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, and he's talking to the church at Philippi, right? This, this church that he loves so much, he has this really tender relationship with the church at Philippi. In fact, he received money from the church at Philippi. He would not receive money from the church at Corinth. He had a very very, uh, strained relationship with the church at Corinth, but a very tender relationship with the church at Philippi. The church at Philippi, I mean, had his heart. And he writes to them to stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. And he goes on in verse two, I entreat Yodia, and I entreat Cintiq. To agree in the Lord. These ladies had some tension between them and they were causing a disruption in the church. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, probably referring to Luke, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord, a common theme throughout Philippians. That's the name of the series, is joy. Rejoice in the Lord. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your reasonableness or your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and the—here goes our theme for this morning—peace of God. And you might just circle that. And the peace of God. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Whatever you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and here it goes again. The God of peace will be with you. So in these passages, in these nine verses, we are instructed how to live with the peace of God that passes all understanding, and it passes all understanding because it's a peace that's not of this world, it's a peace that doesn't depend upon this world, it's a peace that doesn't flow from the outside in, but it's a peace that flows from the inside out through the Spirit of Christ through us. And Paul would know that you can have a peace that passes all understanding because people would have looked at his situations and wondered how in the world he had peace. We see that from the chapter from last week that, that Paul concluded chapter 3, it's as if as he was writing this letter, he just set his pen down and began to weep. Because of people within this church that he loved so much who were living in such immorality and they were destroying their lives and living as if they were enemies of the cross. And so he set his pen down and he just wept because of the lifestyle of some of the people within the church at Philippi. And not only that, but he had this incredible burden because as we saw that he began Philippians chapter 3, that there were people who were trying to divide the flock and uh, destroy the flock through a false gospel by pulling them away from simple faith in Christ to, to trusting in their own works and efforts. And not only that, but we begin chapter 4 by seeing that there's dissension, there's division within this flock. These sisters that he loves so much, they have this animosity and they have this bitterness and probably people are coming around and joining sides on each of these two saints. And not only that, but Paul himself is in prison, probably in Rome, which means that he's on death row, which means that he's awaiting a brutal martyrdom. And with all of this, he says, I have a peace that passes all understanding. It's a peace that is not dependent upon the world. It's a peace from Christ. And he instructs us in these nine verses how to have this peace. It's a peace that that is given to him by Jesus himself. In fact, we read in John chapter 14, the passage that Jeremy read earlier, we read that that Jesus says... My peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. What an incredible statement. This is the peace of God. The very presence of God is the very peace of God. And on the eve of Christ's crucifixion, he says, I'm about to depart, and your hearts are sorrowful, but you can have peace, and it's better that I go away because instead of my peace simply being from my presence, like around the campfire or walking down the road or me teaching you or you observing me, it's a peace that's going to come from the inside out as I give you my Holy Spirit. My my peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. And Jesus said, "It's, it's not a peace like the rest of the world knows. For example, the world knows a peace. For example, the United States and Russia know a peace. We call it the Cold War, but it's really no peace at all. It's a peace where we're watching each other's back and we're very engaged in espionage. The the world knows a peace in the Middle East where they sign a contract that says we'll have peace, but in their hearts, they absolutely loathe one another. We know a peace where perhaps... Marriage partners who divorced can communicate with one another with, with civility, but in their heart, there's still resentment and coldness and animosity. We know a peace where a family can get together and they know that their world is simply a glass bubble, as it's been said, parents only, are only as happy as their uh, most unhappy children. And it's a piece that's a, that's a bubble, it's a glass bubble, kind of like if you're watching Jaws and the girls swimming out in the ocean, and it seems very peaceful and tranquil, but you hear the Jaws theme, and you know that that piece is about to be disrupted. This is the only kind of piece that the world knows to offer. And Jesus said, I'm going to give you a peace that doesn't depend upon this world. It's my peace that I give to you, my peace. And when they heard that Jesus was going to give them their peace, they know that that was no small gift at all. We focus on many incredible gifts of salvation, our forgiveness of sins, that we are going to heaven, that we are children of God. And In this series in Philippians and in our last series in Hebrews, we focused very much on the the gift of our salvation that had to do with the very righteousness of God. But there is a gift imparted to us through our salvation that we don't put nearly enough emphasis into, and this gift is the peace of God. It's a peace that doesn't depend upon the world, it's a peace that has to do with Christ's spirit that's living within us? It's a peace that doesn't flow into our hearts simply because of the absence of conflict. I mean, look at Paul's experience. That his peace was not a result of the absence of conflict. His peace was the result of not only the presence of Christ, but intimacy with Christ and submitting to Christ's authority. And as a result, this peace passed all understanding and it guarded his heart and it guarded his mind. So much so that when he's on death row, not really knowing what his future might look like, he wasn't trying to muster up peace for himself, but he was trying to impart peace to this church that he loved so much. And in John chapter 14, Jesus said, I, I'm not going to give you a peace like the world knows, but the peace that I'm going to give you is the peace that I have myself. Oh, this is an incredible peace. Jesus' name, in fact, is the Prince of Peace. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. What a beautiful name prince of peace peace himself was born which is why when jesus was born the angels declared peace on earth goodwill to men peace himself was born when jesus was with his disciples and there was a storm what was he he was at peace in the boat he walked on water and demonstrated peace he said peace be still and the storms calmed a mob tried to, tried to kill Jesus, and filled with such peace, he just slipped through them all. When they were beating him and torturing him and ripping the flesh off his back and the beard out of his face and mocking him, he had peace in his heart and love for those who were killing him and torturing him. This is the kind of peace that's offered to us. This is the kind of peace that we're instructed how to have in our daily life in these nine verses. So, this is the kind of peace that God wants from you. Have you ever known somebody that they walked into the room and there was just a peace? You're like, ah, peace. Have you ever known somebody that walked into the room and it was just anxiety? Let's not be that person, right? Let's, let's learn how to be the person where the peace of God fills our heart and flows through us. This is God's will for you. We are to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and the third fruit of the Holy Spirit is peace, love, joy, peace. And you don't have to wait until, again, there's an absence of conflict. Just the presence of Christ, intimacy with Christ, submission to the authority of Christ, and we can all know this peace, and this peace can be contagious. So let's pray. Father, we pray in Jesus' name that your peace would fill our hearts and minds. Your peace would surround our countenance and disposition. Your peace would be in the eye of the storm that becomes contagious to those around us. Lord, that we would be instruments of your peace so that we can stand and not only in the middle of our storms, but in other people's storms and say, peace be still, and there is a calm in which you are glorified, and people want to worship you and know you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the peace of God that passes all understanding. Have you guys ever been driving a car and you, and you, and you hit a curb? How many of you have done that? Only me? Okay, I, I don't feel as bad. What happens... When that takes place, your, your, your front end gets knocked out of alignment, right? So that then you're driving down the highway, and you can have your hands on the steering wheel, and you can be hold, holding your steering wheel straight, but what is your car doing? It's veering off. And so what you need is a front end alignment. And in the same way, we get knocked around in life enough, and what do we need? We need to realign. We need to realign our lives, and so we need to refocus on Jesus Christ, who is the author of our peace. Florence Chadwick was an open water swimmer. And she swam the English Channel both ways and set a world record. And then she was going to swim from the Catalina Islands off the uh, California coastline, 26 miles off the California coastline in 1952. Open water swimming out in the ocean is really tough. There's the waves, there's sharks, there's all sorts of unknowns to contend with. And she began swimming, this was 1952, this 26 mile swim from the Catalina Island to the California coastline. Well, it was cold and as she was swimming, thick fog set in. Boats were rowing beside her as she was swimming. They had guns to shoot into the water from time to time to scare away sharks. And she was swimming, and as this thick fog set in, she was growing more and more tired, and she didn't know that she could finish, and she had no idea how far away she was because of the thick fog. And finally, she said, I can't go, f- go on anymore. Uh, p- pull me into the boat. So they pulled her into the boat, and then she realized that she was only one mile away from the coastline. She was almost there, but she gave up. Two months later, she decided to try it again. This time, thick fog once again set in, more thick than before. The conditions were even more harsh than before. She couldn't see the coastline. But she kept swimming, and she kept swimming. And then finally she, re- she, she reached the coastline, and she set a record for both men and women. And they asked her, what was the difference between this time and the last time? Because the, the, the weather conditions were even more difficult. And she said, the difference is I had a mental image of the coastline in my mind, and I just kept focusing on that, and I just kept swimming. In the same way, in order to maintain our peace, we have to keep Jesus Christ as our primary focus. We have to keep Him as our focus, and we have to keep seeking Him and reaching for Him. And the Apostle Paul unpacks for us here, we we see how to focus on Christ the first way. We focus on Jesus Christ by maintaining meekness and peacefulness in our relationships. You think, hold on a second, shouldn't peace here flow from the inside out, right? We have a tender heart. And so we have Christ in our heart, and we, we, we have Jesus filling our heart with love, therefore we are able to be at peace with others, we're at peace with ourselves, therefore we're at peace with others, and the Apostle Paul here says, no, that's backwards. If you want peace, then if you're a born-again child of God, that peace begins with others. And through that peace with others, then you'll have peace within yourselves. That's why in talking about peace, he begins by talking about these ladies within the church that have conflict, and he says, you guys agree with one another. Do whatever you have to to entreat one another and be gentle to one another. And we read in verse 5, let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. Because it doesn't matter how many days we fast. It doesn't matter how holy and righteous we might live. It doesn't matter how passionately we might worship Jesus Christ on Sunday morning. If we have animosity in our heart toward our offender, if we have offensiveness in our heart toward somebody who looked at us the wrong way, if we have bitterness in our heart toward somebody who truly wronged us, it doesn't matter how how vibrant we think that our, our relationship with Christ might be, we will be devoid of the peace of God. Which is why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, if you're offering your gift at the altar, you know, you're doing doing the whole church thing. You're seeking God. If you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there at the altar. First, go be reconciled. Then come and offer your gift. You see what Jesus is saying? He's saying that your relationship with him is going to be stunted. It's going to be in quicksand. Unless you you take care of business, and that's reconciling with your offender. As much as it's possible with you. Sometimes it's not possible with you, but it's always possible with you through the power of the Holy Spirit to forgive them. Even if you can't be reconciled, you can absolutely forgive them. We read in 1 Peter. Peter says, husbands... You're praying, and you're being all intense and passionate about the whole thing, but you're being harsh with your wife, and there's tension with your wife. Your prayers aren't being answered. First, go take care of business, and then come before my throne. That's the word of God. And so we have to have tender hearts. We have to have gentleness in our hearts towards everybody, or we will not know the peace of God that passes all understanding. It doesn't matter how spiritual we might be, how much we might fast, how much we might read the Bible. If we don't have tenderness in our heart towards our offender, we will not know the peace of God that passes all understanding. And that's God's will for us. Do you have the peace of God in your heart? Have you forgiven your offender? Have you you done what's, what's in your power to be reconciled with your offender? Let's read it again. Let's just back up in verse 4 and then look at verse 5. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. And he's still saying this, I believe, to the church. He's writing this with tears in his eyes. In fact, interestingly, you guys want to know what the issue was that these two ladies were just battling it out over? It's it's a very interesting issue. You want to know what it was all about? Well... Actually, we don't know. And I think that serves a really great point, that, that the issues that, that, that we have, resentment and bitterness in the eternal scheme of things, it just falls by the wayside, and it doesn't matter at all, does it? But what matters is how well we loved. That's what matters. What ma- matters is that we maintain tender hearts towards one another. That's what matters. The issues don't matter. What matters is that our hearts are tender and gentle to one another. Let's follow the example of Jesus. We oftentimes focus on the greater war that Jesus won on the cross. But in so doing, we neglect the countless battles that he chose to forfeit. He chose to forfeit the battle of prestige when he stepped out of heaven and came to earth. He chose to forfeit the, the, the battle of ego and the battle of reputation when when. He allowed them to to, to spit upon him. He chose to forfeit the battle of acceptance when they chose Barabbas over him. He he forfeited countless battles on the road to Golgotha because he was focused on the greater war of redeeming us into a relationship with him. And in the same way, we can maintain tenderness in our heart, even to our offender, when we focus on the greater war. And the greater war is winning the tenderness and the intimacy and the relationship, even if that means we forfeit countless battles of pride and ego because we're focused on the greater war of following the example of christ and being an instrument of his peace that melts that frosty cycle of animosity a preacher that i used in fact i still enjoy listening to him and reading whatever material i can that he wrote was dave wilkerson and dave wilkerson was ministering to the gangs in new york city you know when it was really rough and this is a, just a true story, but this one gang member who's now a prison minister and evangelist himself, but this one gang member named Nikki Cruz walked up to Dave Wilkerson, and Dave Wilkerson was this country preacher in the streets of New York ministering to the gangs, and Nicky Cruz pulled out his switchblade, held it up to him, and Dave Wilkerson said, you can cut me up into a thousand pieces, and every piece will still say, I love you. And that's the heart of Christ losing the these petty battles that have to do with our pride and our ego and our reputation because we're focused on the greater war and that's being a pleasing aroma to Jesus Christ as we're an instrument of his peace and love and reconciliation. And what did Jesus do when he was on the cross? He took the wrong. He accepted the wrong that was not his to accept. He accepted the wrong for the sake of relational reconciliation. And I don't know that we are ever more Christ-like than when we accept the wrong and crucify our ego for the sake of relational reconciliation and tenderness and gentleness in the relationship. And without that, we will never know the peace of God. There's always going to be somebody in our life that's on it's a messed up world till Christ returns. There's always gonna be somebody in our life that looks at us wrong. There's always gonna be somebody in our life that talks about us bad. There's always gonna be somebody in our life that, that tries to climb their way to the top. There's always gonna be somebody in our life that irritates us. In fact, there's always gonna be somebody in our life that's an EGR person. What's well, an EGR? Extra grace required. <laughs> every family has one. Every Thanksgiving, every family has an EGR person. And if you look around your dinner table and don't see an EGR person, you're the EGR person. (laughs) Everybody's got one in their lives. It's heavenly sandpaper to make us more like Christ, to give us the opportunity to be Christ so that we can know the peace of God. All right. So Paul goes on to say, if you want to know the peace of God, then you've got to be gentle in your relationships, even when there's no, especially when there's relational conflict. And then he goes on to say, if you want to know the peace of God, not only do you have to recalibrate your your heart so that it's tender toward your offender, but you also have to recalibrate your, your heart so that you lift your anxieties up to the Lord and give them to the Lord. Let's look in verse 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, wait, like when we read like commands like don't... Kill and don't uh, steal and don't covet and don't, uh, you know, dishonor God and all of these things. We say, yeah, amen. But did you know this is just as much a command? Don't be anxious about anything. Don't worry about anything. Jesus commanded us in Matthew 6 don't worry. Your Father loves you so much. Don't worry. Don't be anxious. But see, this isn't just a command to stop doing something. It's not just a command to resist worrying. Because I found that in my life, when I most resist being anxious or when I most resist worrying about something, what am I doing? I'm just focusing on that something I'm not supposed to be worrying about, and it makes me worry about it all the more. This isn't just a command to stop worrying, it's a command to replace our worrying with prayer and praise, prayer and praise. Prayer and praise. You see, it's not a command just to resist anxiety. It's a command to replace anxiety with prayer and praise. Prayer and praise. This is such a simple lesson, but as C.S. Lewis said, oftentimes we don't need to be uh, taught as much as reminded. Are you worrying or have you replaced your anxiety with prayer and praise? Prayer and praise. Prayer and praise. It's something that we have to remember every single day to replace our anxiety with prayer and praise. Prayer and praise. Prayer and praise. I had to do this last night. We never outgrow this. Last night I had trouble falling asleep. I had had anxieties in my heart and mind. And I had to replace them with prayer and praise. Prayer and praise. Prayer and praise. And I fell asleep. And you've got to do the same thing. You've got to replace your anxieties with prayer and praise, prayer and praise, prayer and praise. And we've got to do that all day long, every day. We never outgrow this. We always have to be walking in constant fellowship with Christ through prayer and praise, prayer and praise. And we will always, every day, be tempted to worry. But we resist that worry, not just resist that worry, but we replace that worry with prayer and praise, prayer and praise. In fact, Patrick taught the youth this past Sunday. It was all focused on how to pray. And I think the best lesson I ever received on prayer, I'll share it with you, um, is from a lady named Parthena Jones. One Christmas morning, I, uh, I woke up and I thought, you know what, I'm going to go spend this Christmas morning before I do the whole family festivities. I'm going to spend this Christmas morning with whatever little old lady or man is in the room that my grandmother was in in the nursing home before she passed away. So. I go to the nursing home and I walk in these two people are asleep oh oh well so I walk out I go to the next room I look in they look asleep too so I walk out and this African-American lady said hey and I went back into the room and I was like hey and she said what are you doing and I said oh just walking around what are you doing she said oh just laying here I said ah I said, well, you mind if I come in and talk with you? And she said, you know, I was just praying that the Lord would send me somebody to talk to on Christmas morning. And I said, well, here I am. (laughs) And so we got to talking. And we actually became friends. Her name uh, was Parthena Jones. Parthena was a godly lady. So I would read scripture to Parthena. And and, uh, it was really cool because she knew scripture very well. So I'd be reading the Psalms to her, and she would finish the Psalms up. I would say, um, delight yourself in the Lord, and she would say, and he will give you the desires of your heart, and I would say, amen. I mean, she just had the word in her heart and mind, and then we would pray for each other. I would, I would uh, you know, pray for her, and then she would pray for me. So one particular time that I prayed for her, uh, this is when I got the best lesson on prayer I ever had. Um, I said, so, okay, what's your prayer request? And she said that I would walk out of here. Well, she's since, I know, uh, flown out of there, but... I said, okay, well, let me pray for you. And I started praying. And it was one of those prayers that everything flowed, you know. Y'all ever had one of those? I mean, I was quoting scripture in the prayer, it was rhythmic, it was poetic. I thought it was an awesome prayer. And as I was praying, I thought to myself, I'll bet you Parthena's impressed with this prayer. <laughs> that was my thought. And I said, Amen. And she said, uh, now I'll pray for you. What's your prayer request? I said, well, pray that the Lord would anoint me, and she anoint me. And then I went on to explain what the anointing was. And she said, I, don't, I know all about the anointing. You don't have to explain the anointing to me. She said, I'll pray for you. She said, but it won't be a long prayer. I said, I'm not in any hurry. You can make it as long as you want. She said, no, it's not the length in the prayer. It's the faith in the prayer. When I pray, I believe it's going to happen. And then she prayed. God, anoint this young man to preach the gospel to the whole world. Amen. And she looked at me and said, you'll have it. And I just, I wanted to say, can I pray for you again? It won't be as poetic, but I'll believe it. And I left there thinking to myself, this was probably the greatest lesson of prayer I've ever had. Jesus said, when you pray, let your words be few. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, or I was praying for Parthena. Don't, don't try to be an orator when you pray. Don't try to be eloquent. Don't, don't, don't try to be William Shakespeare, because truth be known... When you pray like that, Jesus is like, I didn't understand a word you just said. Just simple, just layman's terms, just talk to me. When Patrick and I go talk to each other, when we have lunch, we, we, don't, have to, we don't have to be all poetic. We, we, we don't have to be like an orator when we, when we talk to each other. That would be absolutely ridiculous, wouldn't it? When we, when we talk to each other, it's just from the heart to heart. Hey, brother, how's it going? Good, man. How are you? Fine, man. Pray for me about this. I'm praying for you. What else is going on? I mean, we just talk. And when we pray, God says, just talk to me. Tell me what's on your heart. He knows it. So why do we have to share it? Because he wants a relationship with us. So we just talk to him, and we say, God, I'm really burdened about this. I don't know why it's happening like this. God, when is this going to come through? God, I, I really need help with this. And we just talk to God. And we're instructed, in order to have the peace of God, to not just resist anxiety, which is the antithesis of peace, But to replace anxiety with prayer, just talk to God. All throughout the day, falling asleep, just talk to him. Tell him the good parts of your day. Tell him the bad parts of your day. Tell him your burdens. Tell him your needs. Just talk. Just like I'm talking to you now. You don't have to have a British accent or anything like that. You just talk to him. Just talk. And the simpler, the better. The more raw, the better. The more real, the better. We just talk to God. And we intermingle that talking to God with praising Him, thanking Him. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, that's just praising Him. Prayer and praise, prayer and praise, prayer and praise, to fall asleep, prayer and praise. When you wake up, prayer and praise throughout the day, and watch what happens as a result, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And I, and I say this kind of thing a lot, but it's true. Guys, you can be going to counseling for another six months. You can be taking anxiety medicine for another six months. But if you're not replacing anxious thoughts with prayer and praise, prayer and praise, prayer and praise, it's not going to do any good, and everything's only a Band-Aid. There's a season in my life that I personally struggled with anxiety so much that my fingertips were bleeding. And it was like a sunburn, and my fingertips were bleeding, and then my fingertips would peel, and my fingertips were so tender that, that it was hurt to even turn on the car or to push a button. Uh, this is like when I was first involved in the ministry and just trying to learn to navigate the responsibility and the burdens. And I went to the doctor, and, and you know they said, this is just anxiety. And they subscribe anxiety medication. And the nurse was like, what, what do you do for a living? I was like, well, I wanted to say anything but this. So I'm a pastor. And she said, why don't you just trust God? I was like, give me that prescription, all right? But she was right. I was was neglecting this very simple, this very basic discipline without which none of us will have the peace of God. We replace our anxious thoughts... With prayer and praise, prayer and praise, prayer and praise, prayer and praise. To fall asleep, to wake up throughout the day, and I can testify the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your heart and mind. And I haven't battled, this is a testimony, I haven't battled with anxiety for years, years and years and years. Over a decade and a half perhaps over a decade and a half and it's not because my life has been without conflict but i've learned this discipline of not simply resisting anxious thoughts but replacing anxious thoughts with prayer and praise prayer and praise prayer and praise and then we go on to verse eight finally brothers listen to this guys whatever is true Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. If you want the peace of God to guard your heart and mind, if you want the presence of Christ to be so intimate that your heart is just flooded with peace, not because there's an absence of conflict, but because there's intimacy with Christ, then you have to think on high thoughts. If there's desires that are leading you astray, it's because your thoughts have first gone astray. Do you guys understand that? If your desires are leading you astray, if your desires are inconsistent with the word of God and God's will for your life, and you think, well, this is just how God made me, this is just who I am. No, somewhere along the way, the enemy got a foothold in your mind and as a result in your desires, and that is not who you are. If we live cheap, it's because we first thought cheap. We have to elevate our thoughts and think about these things. As the thoughts go, there the saints will eventually go. We have to elevate our thoughts. We read in Romans chapter 8 that the way that we live the spirit-filled life is through the thought process. The thoughts, the mind, the mind in Romans chapter 8, the mind focused on the spirit is life and peace. The mind focused on The flesh is death. We have to focus our mind, we read in Romans chapter 8, in order to live the spirit-filled life. And how do we focus our mind? This means that we've got to take a lot of things out. We've got to take the garbage out of our minds. We've got to take the garbage out and replace our thoughts with these sort of thoughts. Whatever is true, it says, whatever is true. And yet we're so focused on, on entertainment. Entertainment's not true. Did you guys know that? Entertainment is acting. Did y'all know that? It's not for real. It's acting. When, when they get the Oscars, they're still acting. That's all it is, It's acting. When you see a, a celebrity, when you see an athlete giving you an, inter- giving an interview, that's not real that's acting that's fake stuff when you look at people's facebook profiles that's probably not real it's what they want you to think about themselves it's just acting we've got to focus on what's true what's true what's true is the word of god what's true is the promises of god what's true is the spirit of truth we've got to think on what's true and most of our thought life consists of things that are untrue no wonder the peace of god doesn't fill our heart and mind we have to think on what's true we have to think on what's honorable what's honorable the things that are honorable are 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 just and noble the thoughts that are honorable you wouldn't mind if we displayed it on the screen in worship we're like hold on a second guys hold on a second here's marcus we're just gonna we're just gonna push pause on our worship for a moment and still in the spirit of worship we're just gonna Watch this little two-minute video, the highlights of Marcus's thoughts throughout the past week. Hold on a second, guys. As we worship, let's just push pause. And this is Stephen's thoughts. Let's just watch about a two-minute clip of the highlights from Stephen's thought process from this past week. Here's Victoria's thoughts from the past week. Two-minute clip. And this is going to usher us back into worship. Would our thoughts help people to worship more? Or would our thought process cause people uh, just to be grieved? We have to think on things that are honorable, the things that are honorable we would want to display on the screen. Whatever is just, whatever is, listen to this, whatever is pure, whatever is pure and righteous, we have to think on these things. How's our thought life? All right. So we have to refocus our heart to be tender in our relationships. We have to refocus our heart And replace anxiety with prayer and praise. We have to refocus our thoughts with things that are holy and honorable and pure. And then we have to refocus our life to be a testimony. Let's read in verse 9. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Isn't this very similar to what Paul uh, discussed last week? When he said, whatever you see in me, do that. I know that that was, I think, maybe the highlight of last week's sermon. I didn't anticipate that it would be, but that's what seemed to really resonate with most people. They came up and they said, yeah, I've always always had the thought process of, don't get your eyes on me. You focus on Jesus. Don't focus on me. I'll mess up. I'll fail. But you focus on Jesus. And look at Paul. Look at this example. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. He said it again. He's emphasizing it. Anytime that scripture is repetitive, God is being emphatic. And once again, scripture is repetitive. And there's an emphasis here. And this is the level of following Christ that the Lord wants us to, to, to step into. So that we can look at people in school and we can look at people at work and we can look at family members. And we say, you want the peace of God in your life? Follow me. Whatever you see me do, whatever you hear about me doing, you do that. And the peace of God will guard your heart and mind. So this is the peace of God. This is Christ. And it's not just the presence of Christ. It's intimacy with Christ and it's submission to his authority in our life. And the peace of God will flow through us. And this is part one of, part, of, of, of a two-part message. And that part two, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to summarize this morning. Uh, sermon this evening at 6 p.m usually it's the same sermon but i'm going to summarize this morning's sermon this evening at 6 p.m because i want to get through philippians here in a couple of weeks or finish it up next week and um so then it's going to have to be a two-parter but i want to continue to talk to you about peace and so part two of peace is going to be this evening so if you know someone who needs this morning's sermon bring them tonight and we'll summarize this but also we're going to go into part two of the peace of god that passes all understanding and i encourage you to come back for part two so, would you stand with me, please? There was a contest of these painters, and they were giving topics, and they would paint the topics, and then there would be a prize for whoever uh, best captured. Um, that theme and so the uh the theme was peace and so many artists painted this beautiful uh, maybe a country landscape or uh, maybe a, a sunset over a sea or just um, something that was just very still and calm but then another painter the one who won painted a storm uh, and it was, it was in a sea and the, and the waves were turbulent and they were crashing against the rocks and you could tell that the wind was blowing and the sky was flashing but sitting in the corner on a rock was a bird whistling <laughs> whistling in the middle of the storm and they won because that's peace because peace again it's not the absence of conflict peace is the presence of Christ it's the peace of God through intimacy with Christ and submission to his authority in our life and this peace passes all understanding so that people look at us and they're like, what's different about you? We're like, well, it's the peace of God that's guarding my heart and my mind. And we can have this peace in any and every situation that we're in. It's a gift to us. Any and every situation that we're in, we can have this peace. But not, not without. We can't have this peace without gentleness and our relationships even towards our offenders. And so perhaps you just need to come down and you just need to say, oh God, bless my offender. God, I forgive them. Help me to forgive them. I forgive them. Help me to forgive them. Bless them. Perhaps you just need to pray, oh God, replace the anxiety in my heart towards my offender with peace. The Bible doesn't say that that, that the good Christian will be without enemies. It says that the good Christian, the one who follows Christ, will have a supernatural capacity to love their enemies. And who is your enemy? Your enemy is somebody that makes you their target. Your enemy is somebody that wants to cause you harm. And it doesn't say that we're going to be without enemies. It just says we'll have the capacity to love our enemies. I had a really awesome time with the Lord recently. And God so filled my heart with peace. And you want to know what? I've, I've got a few enemies, just, just a few. But as the Lord filled my heart with peace, you want to know what? I longed for my enemies. I did. And I just wanted to, I just wanted to go to lunch with them. I just want to say I love you, and I want the best for you, and God bless you. And I was so excited about that. I, I came to the office, and I, I told my niece, Brianna, who's... One of my administrative assistants, and I told her about that, and she said, But then you got a good night's sleep and you're better, right? It's like, No, no. The the peace of God, it doesn't mean we'll be without conflict or we'll be without enemies. It just means that we'll have the capacity to love, we'll have the capacity to forgive. Without loving and without forgiving, you can do all the church stuff you want and you will not have peace. When Jesus said, Leave your gift there at the altar. Forget about church stuff. For, forget about religious stuff. Leave your gift there at the altar. First, go be reconciled. It wasn't an admonition. It, it wasn't a scolding. It was because he wants us to have peace. He's the prince of peace. And we'll never have peace if we don't have forgiveness toward our offenders and our enemies. And then we've got to replace our anxious thoughts with this discipline. Prayer and praise. 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 This is how we breathe. Prayer and praise, prayer and praise. We replace anxious thoughts with prayer and praise, prayer and praise. You're going in to take a test, prayer and praise. You're going into a meeting, prayer and praise. You're falling asleep, prayer and praise. Whatever you're doing, it's prayer and praise. Always in your spirit, prayer and praise, prayer and praise. If you ever see an athlete who wins the gold, they have discipline. And if you ever see a Christian with the peace of God that passes all understanding, they have this discipline. They replace intentionally cast down anxious thoughts and replace them with prayer and praise, prayer and praise. Just talking with God, just thanking God. Talking with God, thanking God. And your mind is not a garbage dump. And so we need to get garbage out. Whether it's pornography or whether it's bitterness or whether it's lust or whatever it might be. Where the mind goes, there the man will eventually go. You think, why do I keep stumbling? Why do you keep first thinking that? Cast down those thoughts and replace them with these high thoughts. And let's commit to living a life where we can say, Follow me, follow me, and you'll have peace in your life. Maybe somebody's not a Christian, you're like, You want to know what a real Christian is? I don't blame you for not wanting to be a Christian because of the Christians you've seen, but you want to know what a real Christian is? Just follow me. Watch me closely, and you'll have peace in your life, and you'll want to know the same God that I know. So perhaps you just need to come down and you just need to say oh god help me to walk in this peace of god that passes all understanding so would you bow your heads with me if you need the peace of god in your life or if you have you been absent of the peace of god let's start there have you been absent of the peace of god in your life just raise your hand all right you know you don't have to be not a day longer you don't have to be not an hour longer we've been given the marching orders in these first nine verses of philippians chapter four And so you can replace your life with the peace of God. And I just invite you to come down to the altar and do that. And let's also just respond with worship. The altars are open.